we've played that uh, video before. Last Easter, we played that testimony from Jim, but there's been a lot of people here uh, who haven't seen that, uh, who uh, have started coming since then. And uh, I, was, I watched this video as I was preparing for this message this week. Got a little teary-eyed, and I got a little teary-eyed back there. <laughs> uh, thank you, Jim, for your testimony. <clears throat> and uh, we are starting a new series on stewardship, and uh, we've called it Entrusted. Uh, the idea of entrusting someone with something is giving them something to care for, protect. Um, and this uh, series is going to last about six weeks. We're going to take a look at stewardship, stewardship through a few different lenses. Uh, over the coming weeks, we're going to look at uh, how God has entrusted with us with gifts, with the gospel, uh, with our finances, all of these different things uh, that God has given to us to use for his name. But the main idea of stewardship, if I were to kind of define it, uh, would be this. Uh, we're using God's provisions and power uh, that he has gifted to us to serve him, his purposes, and his creation. So that's kind of what we're talking about when we're talking about stewardship, uh, about this idea of being entrusted. And there's two main ideas about this uh, idea, uh, two main ideas about be- being entrusted or being stewards. Uh, first of all, uh, it's that God owns everything, right? So this is uh, a, a kind of a core principle of God being the creator, the sustainer of all things. And in Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. And this is really important to remember as we move forward. So this is uh, very similar to uh, the, the relationship that we have with our kids, if you have children, right? Uh, if you've ever had them buy you a Christmas present, they didn't buy it with their own money, right? You gave them uh, $50 and you said, go buy me a present. Uh, and uh, so they bring it back and you know exactly how much it's worth. Um, and uh, it's not really a surprise. Uh, it's not really something that they've given to you because you gave it to them first, right? Uh, but there is uh, a specialness, there is a sweetness to that at the same time, isn't there? Uh, your child going out and, and using your resources to buy you something, right? Um, but in reality, uh, it's the parents' money. And the same idea here that God owns everything. And everything around us that we see is owned by God, has been given to us by him. The second idea uh, is that we are responsible for what we've been given, uh, so that idea that God owns everything and has given us things, now we have a responsibility uh, to use what he has given uh, for his glory. So 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace, or uh, abundant grace, or manifold grace, some translations put it. Uh, so there is a... Uh, there's an idea that's been there from the very foundations of Scripture that God has given us things. And and all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So he made the Garden of Eden, and then he made man, and then he told man, this is uh, my creation, I'm giving it to you, and I want you to tend and keep it. Uh, And so today we're talking about God how God has entrusted us with our stories. And that's why I wanted to play that testimony of Jim at the beginning of the service. Uh, was, Jim was sharing his story. His story is something that has been given to him by God. He has entrusted our stories, our lives to us. And now we're going to look at this morning, how do we use our lives, how do we use our stories 
to bring glory to him. And we thought that this would be kind of a good uh, sort of a transition from where we came from. The last seven weeks, I think it was, we were talking about the atonement of Christ. And we're talking about uh, what that does for us, that it's through the atonement of Christ, through Christ's work on the cross, that we have salvation available to us. That through faith and trust in the work of Jesus, uh, we are able to be saved from our sins. This is how God was able to make salvation available to us. And so uh, for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ, he has given us a story to tell. He's given us a story to tell about how he has transformed us, about how he has made us new, about the work that he's doing in our lives. So this story, the intent is that we're going to use it for his purposes, right? That we're going to use it to bring glory to him. And one of the things that I loved about Jim's story is that uh, over and over he kept reminding us that it was God who was doing the work, it is God who's making the transformation, and it was God uh, that deserved the glory and all of that. And this idea of stories is foundational in the Bible. We see it, uh, this, this is how God communicates to us. He uses stories uh, to teach us lessons. He uses stories about himself and people. Uh, and some of these stories are stories of victory. Some of these stories are uh, catastrophic failures. Uh, but we learn from these stories. And they're, they're, uh, I always loved hearing people's stories. When I was a kid at church, I loved hearing people's testimonies, mostly because I like to hear about all the bad stuff that they did. Um, and it's, and it kind of seemed like a bit of a competition in telling your testimony of like, well, who had the most messed up life before they got saved? Um, so as a kid, I really liked hearing all that stuff. But, uh, but it's because it's, it's intimate. It's, it's, it's something special. That's why we love TV shows and movies and books, because uh, stories kind of grip us and take us in. And good stories will teach us something. And just as an example, uh, how God, one of the ways that God uses in Joshua chapter 4, the, uh, the nation of Israel was just kind of moving into the promised land or getting ready to move into the promised land. Uh, Moses had died. Joshua had sort of taken over uh, leading the Israelites. So in Joshua chapter 4, verse 5, it says, uh, Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel. So this is when they're crossing the Jordan and moving into promised land after wandering the desert for 40 years. This is a big deal. That this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So God continuously uh, is putting symbols and these, these events in place and these reminders and celebrations uh, to constantly remind the Israelites of where they had come from. And I find that that's one of the best things about stories is that we're able to look back and see how God has been working through our lives. We're able to look back and go, oh, that's where I was and this is where I am now. Because in the moment, a lot of times we're frustrated and it feels like, am I growing? Am I moving forward? Is, is my life changing. And then we look back and like, oh, five years ago I was here. And I can see God working through all of that time. And that's what God wanted the Israelites to do, is he wanted them to see this memorial uh, in this particular instance and go, what was that for? Oh yeah, I remember where we were. 
We were slaves. We wandered in the desert for 40 years, and this memorial is set up so that we can tell our children when they ask, what does this mean? Uh, this is the time God helped us cross the Jordan into the promised land. And so this, this remembrance, God is constantly calling the Israelites to, and he was constantly reminding them to tell stories to each other. And throughout the year, the, throughout the Jewish calendar year, there was all kinds of celebrations and festivals that the Israelites were commanded to go to. And they would remember these certain things. And so one of those things uh, was the Passover that they celebrated every year. Uh, They celebrated the deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt when they were slaves in Egypt. And they would tell that story to their children. And then there's another one called the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a reminder of Israel's time in the desert. And what they would do is they would camp out for a week in their yard. They would build these little tents, these little tabernacles, and they would live in them for the week. And I can't help but imagine that this was a really fun time. I'm sure it had its pros and cons of moving out into the, uh, moving out into the tent for the week with the kids. It probably would have been really exciting. Uh, and probably on day two or three, you're like, I want to move back into the house. Uh, I don't want to live in this tent with my children anymore. Um, but, but that was done to, to remind them and to tell those stories again to their children. The kids are, why do we do this? And the parents would tell them the stories about God, how God led them through the desert. And even today for us, that's, this, that's what, why God has instituted communion. That uh, over and over and over again, he's calling us to remember the story of Christ and to remember what he did for us on the cross. And so our life now uh, and our story is like a memorial to God. Each one of us has uniqueness and a value, and a purpose to serve him. uh, And we want to be able to use that to the best of our ability. This isn't a new idea. John Calvin uh, from the 16th century uh, said this in a book he wrote called Institutes. He said, we should all regard our particular situation as a post assigned to us by God, lest in the course of our lives we flit to and fro and drift aimlessly about. I do think that's the first time I heard the word flit. Um, but I get it. (laughs) Um, So he's saying that we've been put in a particular place at a particular time. We've been given particular experiences uh, to serve and bring glory to God. And an an example that I thought of uh, as I started preparing for this right away was Paul's story. Uh, Paul is a New Testament character that that most of us know so well. He wrote uh, most of the New Testament, uh, and uh, he has a remarkable life. Uh, He has a remarkable story and a remarkable testimony. And in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul writing, he says, But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. He's saying God has a plan for my life and God has a plan for my story and who I am and the experiences that I have. Also in Acts chapter 9 and verse 15, God is speaking uh, to Ananias. If you remember the story of when uh, Paul was saved on the road to Damascus, he was uh, blinded um, and he, was, he put his faith and trust in God. He was saved at that moment, uh, but still was blind. Uh, he went to a nearby town and God spoke to a Christian named Ananias, uh, the man who's going to give Paul his sight back. So Paul said to Ananias, he said, I want you to go see Saul at that time uh, and In case you don't know, Saul was uh, a bit of a terror to the early church. Uh, He uh, went and found 
Christians, and he would murder them. And he thought he was doing God's work in doing that. He thought that by uh, taking these Christians out of their home and killing their entire families, that he was doing God's work because this idea, this, the way that was being taught, these Christians that were... were uh, but God showed up and said, you've got it all wrong, Saul. Uh, and so God saved him, and he called Ananias to go and give Saul his sight back. And Ananias, rightfully so, was hesitant. <laughs> Uh, he said, isn't this the guy who kills Christians? Uh, and this is what God said when Ananias was hesitant. He said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. So yes, he has a dark past. Yes, uh, he is broken. Yes, he's messed up. Yes, he has been on the wrong path. Uh, but I have a purpose for him. So Paul was able to use his upbringing, uh, his mistakes, uh, and the grace of God to bring glory to his name. And we've seen this incredible, remarkable life of Paul, and there's so many incredible stories that you can read about in the New Testament about him and how he preached the word of God. Uh, And there's one instance, there's a couple of instances in the New Testament where Paul gives his testimony, but one of them in Acts chapter 21, Paul returns to Jerusalem, and he's been told, he was told by this uh, man who, who prophesied, he said, if you go to Jerusalem... You're going to be bound and you're going to be taken and jailed. And Paul said, what's that matter to me? My job is to go and preach the word of God. And so he goes to Jerusalem uh, and he goes to the temple uh, one day and the religious leaders uh, of the Israelites seen Paul and basically they started a riot uh, trying to kill him. Uh, A complete uproar happened. The Roman guards come in. They had to settle everything down. Because they were going to kill Paul, uh, they took Paul. They, they arrested him. They didn't really know what was going on, but they said, this guy seems to be the center of what's going on. Let's arrest him, get him out of here, figure out what's happening. And so Paul says to the guard, he says, listen, can I have a few minutes to talk? Can I say a few words to the crowd? And what does Paul choose to say to this mob of people but his testimony? He shares his story. Because Paul knows that there is power in a person's transformed life. Paul said, this is who I was, and this is who I am now. Um, Another time, if you want to read that that instance, it's a really interesting story, but that's Acts chapter 21 and Acts chapter 22. We don't have time to go and read it now. I'm moving very slowly. Uh, Philippians chapter 3. So we're going to look at a passage in Philippians chapter 3, another time uh, where Paul gives a snapshot of who he was and his testimony. And what he's doing is he's taking a moment to teach about not trusting in in your flesh, not trusting in your own strength. And to reinforce that, he uses his testimony and his story. So Philippians chapter 3, it says, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So Paul was saying, if anyone gets to be confident, if anyone gets to like rely on their flesh, it's me. Because look at who I was. I was a Pharisee, and he said, you couldn't find a sin in me. You couldn't find a part of the law that I wasn't keeping. And so he said, I had every right to be confident. But he said, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth 
of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And so he says, this is who I was and this is who I am now. I'm willing to give all of that up to know Christ. And so as far as our story goes, how do we use our story? And I'm a very... I like concepts to be concrete. Uh, I don't like it, uh, especially in, uh, when it comes to spiritual matters. Sometimes things can kind of be cryptic and obscure. Um, and I always use example when people say walk in the spirit. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, what does it look like when I put my feet on the floor, when I wake up in the morning? What does walk in the spirit mean? I don't know what that is. Uh, or uh, there, there's so many of these, these ideas that are kind of cryptic. So I can just say your story uh, is meant to bring glory to God and go forth, and you're kind of like, what, okay, what am I supposed to do with this? And so I want to talk about some, kind of some, some concrete things uh, to help us in how we can use our story uh, that God has entrusted to us uh, to bring glory to him. So what we're doing uh, is we're using our life experiences uh, with all kinds of different things, with loss, with victories, uh, our experience in relationships and sin, and the wisdom that we have gained through these experiences to bring glory to God through meaningful interactions with people. So all of the pieces of our life that God has worked uh, through us and in us, we're going to use as we interact with other people day to day. And we've seen this uh, in Jim's story, right? We've seen that he was using his story, he was using his experiences and how God changed him uh, to bring glory to his name. And we rejoice and celebrate uh, with Jim's story. And... And so, as far as on a day-to-day basis, we don't always have that opportunity that Jim had. We're not all going to get to record our testimony of how God saved us. We're not all going to get to stand up in front of a group of people and tell our story. And so what do we do? We're going to use that story day-to-day in our interactions with people. And there's kind of three main points, and there could be a lot more. This is just kind of three things that I thought of three different ways that we can use our story uh, to bring glory to God. And so the first is to listen to other people's stories. Um, And and that creates a connection, right? That's a relationship when we're communicating back and forth. Uh, So the first is to listen to other people's stories and experiences. The second is to be honest and vulnerable about who we are and our story and what God has done in our life. And the third thing is to make Jesus the center of your story. And... Um, as an example, we're going to make up a character. Um, his name is Ralph. That's, my father called me Ralph for some reason uh, as I was growing up. He still does sometimes. Um, anyways, so uh, as an example, uh, Ralph, is, uh, Ralph is a Christian who has lost some people in his life. Uh, some people that he's cared about has died. This is not based on anyone. This is completely made up. I just want to create an example for us. Um, and uh, when those people died... Uh, obviously, Ralph had to grieve. Uh, he was sad about that, and he continued to come to church, but quietly, he was really angry with God. Uh, he was, uh, didn't understand what God was doing and taking those people from his life. Over time, uh, through interactions with other people, uh, he was able to work through that, grieve those losses, and understand that God has an ultimate purpose. And so now, when he moves on, Uh, and sees other people uh, with loss, other people uh, who maybe have lost a mother, who have lost a sibling, who have lost someone near and dear to them, 
uh, he has a special ability to connect with them and share with them what God did in his life. Now, the thing here is that Ralph may want to hide the fact that he was really angry with God. Uh, But that might be one of the most valuable parts of that story. That might be one of the most valuable pieces to that is that he gets to go up to someone, listen to them, hear their story and go, I went through something really similar. And you know what? I had a lot of anger towards God. And I had a lot of difficulty moving through that. And I had a really hard time trusting God for a while. And then to take that story, that experience that he had, and talk about how God transformed him and changed him, that's an opportunity that, that, that he would have to bring glory to God, to bring someone else along, to encourage someone else, and to build someone up. And so being honest uh, is incredibly helpful. And, and lots of times, that honesty is so valuable. And when out of those three things, um, that, that's the one that really resonates with me uh, because that's been a huge part of my story is, is the value of honest people in my life. And some of the most powerful moments in my life are when people have been honest uh, about their struggles because so often, you know, we all just kind of show up uh, and we don't really, uh, I, mean, I mean, the foyer is not the place to get into, you know, real uh, deep struggles and difficulties, right? We're not going to be talking about our deepest, darkest sins in the foyer surrounded by, you know, 50 other people. Um, but, uh, but when we have opportunities for people to be honest, uh, it can be really life-changing. And a really small example, it's so silly uh, that I use, but I can always remember, like, I'd start books and I, I would never finish them, and I always felt like, I don't know if, it was, if I felt like a failure or what it was, but it's just like, jeepers, I can't, I can't even finish a book. Uh, and uh, I can remember talking to this guy who I really respected, and uh, he was a, a fantastic preacher and teacher, and uh, I really admired him, and he commented that he never finishes books. And I was like, oh, it's okay not to finish books, <laughs> right? And, and that was such a small, silly instance, but it was just like someone that I respected and cared for and looked up to uh, who was like, yeah, I don't finish books either. Um, and and that, was, that was something that was actually really meaningful to me and really uh, helped, me, uh, helped me kind of um, relax around that really silly idea. Um, but what doesn't help is like just kind of empty religious platitudes. Uh, that doesn't help people along. That doesn't build people up, right? For that person who's lost someone they love to come along and go, oh, well, you know, let go and let God. And it's like, oh, boys, I feel better now. Thanks for that, right? Um, really feel like I'm going to move through this a lot faster, right? Um, and for, for that person who's lost someone so near and dear to them to hear something like, oh, God won't give you more than you can handle. And it's like, it kind of feels like more than I can handle right now. Um, and, and the value of honesty in those moments to go, I know what you're going through, and I know it's, it's normal to struggle, and it's normal to have questions, and I was there too. Uh, that's how one of the ways that we can use what God has done through us uh, to bring him glory. Uh, and so even in, like, even in the conversation in the foyer, we can, we can kind of weave these things in. Even in someone saying, oh, jeepers, my week was just terrible. It was hard. To go, yeah, I get it. Uh, I know what that's like. You know, uh, I've been busy too. It's frustrating. You, you can't do the things you want to do. You know, you get distracted from your spiritual life. Whatever it may be, you can weave those things to uh, weave those things in through our conversations day to day and being understanding to people, listening to them, asking them questions, asking them to share more, and sharing your own experience 
uh, goes a long way to build meaningful relationships and, um, and strong communities. And this is one of the reasons that God uh, tells stories, because they're meaningful to us. We can relate to them. We can go, yeah, I could see myself in that same situation. I could see myself, you know, just a, a, a couple of bad decisions away from doing that same thing. And there's two big problems when we talk about sharing our stories that I find, at least in my experience, there might be more again, but these are just two that I thought of. So first of all, uh, we're going to fake or manufacture or counterfeit this kind of godliness to make our story seem better. And this is something that I've done in the past, right? There's kind of this weird idea that, that uh, if, if someone asks me about sin, that I'm going to lie about it, that I'm going to not be honest uh, about where my heart is to kind of protect God's testimony because it's like, well, well, I don't want God to get a bad rap because I'm sinning, right? So, so I'll just kind of lie and, and, and shield people from the real me, uh, and I'll kind of manufacture this, this godliness, and I'll make sure I'm at church every week, and you know, I'll make sure uh, that I'm saying all the right things and doing the right things, and I'll make sure that no one ever really knows who I am. And I'm going to make sure that no one ever really sees the sin in my life. And the Pharisees were known for this. And Jesus called out the Pharisees because that's exactly what they were doing. They were manufacturing godliness. And it was counterfeit. It was something that wasn't real. They wore nice robes. They said all the right things. And they made sure that all the people around them uh, seemed lower and they seemed stupid and like they didn't know enough. And so everybody looked up to them and thought that they were what was supposed to be attained. And so they would say, how, look how powerful God's work is. Look at me. Uh, I'm sinless. I don't, I don't struggle with sin anymore. And so that's one of the dangers that we can fall into with our story is that we can kind of think we have to hide uh, who we really are. And the other one is that we can kind of, the, the, kind of on the other side of things is, is we can kind of become paralyzed in the shame of our stories and think, I'm, I'm never going to put myself out there. I'm never going to connect meaningful with, meaningfully with anybody because I have so much shame about uh, what I've done and who I've been. And sometimes our vision of who we are can get clouded by our sin. And we forget uh, the power of God's grace uh, to love and redeem and transform and forgive us unconditionally. And, and then our story doesn't get used. And then the... the, the God working in us never gets shared. And God has given us this thing. He's given us our life. He's given us this story. And he says, I want you to share it. Yes, you're broken. And yes, there's sin in your life. But remember that you aren't the point of the story. We're making Christ the center of the story. And there's people in this room who are probably thinking, yeah, but Matt, you don't know what I've done. Matt, you don't, you don't know where I've been you don't know the sins that are on my account, the things that I've done, the people I've hurt. Um, my wife and I have been married for 15 years in June, uh, which uh, is wild. <laughs> it it's, doesn't seem like it could possibly be that long. Um, when we got married, I was 24, and uh, my wife was 19. And uh, so there's a bit of an age gap. It's fine now, but when you start subtracting years, it gets a little weird. But uh, it's all all good. Um, What my wife didn't know about me when we 
got married was that at that time I had about uh, a 10-year addiction to pornography under my belt um, that I didn't tell her about. And uh, that sin was something that I was bound and determined uh, to hide. So I, I played both sides of these faults. Uh, so I faked my godliness. I manufactured a godliness. Um, I preached from the pulpit during that time um, and at my former church. And, uh, you know, I, I led a youth group. I uh, was in leadership in several different roles. Uh, and that continued through our marriage. And I thought, this isn't an issue as long as it's just me that knows about this. Um, and that's one thing with sin uh, is that... Uh, Sin never just affects you. I always liken sin to kind of um, the, the ground being worked out from underneath you slowly, right? You can stand there for a long time, but eventually it's going to fall out from underneath you. Uh, and that happened several times. Uh, you know, I, I, over the years, I was, uh, I was kind of caught red-handed by my wife, uh, broke her heart, um, and one of those situations where she felt like she didn't know who I was. Um, and that, that uh, my goal was I need to manage this sin. I need to get this under control. Uh, I need to find a way to stop and always thinking, someday this will get easier, someday this will get easier. And uh, it continued on uh, for almost 20 years. Uh, it was about 18 years. Uh, and it wasn't until um, uh, I encountered uh, really radical and true honesty from people, uh, exampled in my life, that... Um, that God was able to give me victory over that. And it was something that for so long uh, had ruled my life. And then, uh, and I thought, because I played that fake godliness card, right, but at the same time, um, the shame was kind of paralyzing me because it meant I didn't want to connect with my wife because I was scared that if we have a meaningful conversation, uh, what's going to happen is she's going to ask me how I'm doing or she's going to ask me, are you still looking at pornography? And so uh, I went through great lengths to make sure that there's no real connection and intimacy in our marriage. And that played out really badly in case uh, you didn't know that intimacy with your spouse is important. Uh, so um, my wife and I were really good at being friends, but for a long time we were really bad at being married. Uh, and so I just avoided intimacy at all costs. I avoid people knowing me at all costs. And, and I just felt so broken and so damaged and so shameful about who I was. And there were times I thought, how can God ever use me? Um, and the reason I'm telling this story um, is for two reasons. And, and I, wanted, I wanted to name the sin for a reason. Uh, because it's really easy. If, if, if you're in a place of sin... And I say, in my story, I say, I really struggled with sin. You go, yeah, but you don't know my sin. Uh, when, when I name that sin of pornography and that, that problem that I had with lustfulness, I think that kind of, I feel like I, I wanted to open doors for conversation. This is what I want. I wanted to create uh, a space for people to talk about it, and I want people to understand that if they're in that, they're not alone. And there was brokenness that went beyond that in our marriage. Um, and <clears throat> there was, there's a lot of pain uh, from that sin, uh, but through um, the power of God in my life, through the power of God using people, when I was able to 
um, talk to people openly about what I was going through and what I was struggling with, and I was met with love and care and compassion from other Christians, uh, it made a radical transformation in my life. Uh, and, and again, the reason I'm telling this story is, is to see that for, for someone who was as broken as I was, for someone who was in as dark a place as I was and had done the things that I had done, it was easy for, it would have been expected for anyone to go, there's no hope for that guy. And the miraculous thing that God has done is that he somehow was able to use my brokenness and my sin for his glory. That I was able now to tell my story. That I was able now to be honest with other people, with other men. That I was able to say, God transformed my life. And, and to give people hope. And that is the power of our stories. That is the power of your story. That it doesn't matter how broken or how sinful you are. God is able to use your brokenness. It's, it's one of the most incredible things, one of the most incredible flexes that God can do is that he can take what seems so powerful and so against him and say, I'm going to use that. God didn't make me sin. But God is going to use that miraculously somehow to bring glory to him. And that God is going to use uh, my depravity to somehow bring glory to his name. Second uh, Corinthians 4, verse 6. I'm over my time a little bit. I'll try to wrap things up here. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. It says this, For God who said, let light, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, these frail things, these frail, easily broken things to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You see, your story isn't about you. No matter how sinful you are, no matter how broken you are, no matter where you are in your life, that's the wonderful thing, that your story isn't about you. Your story is about how God has transformed you and will use you to bring glory to his name. Let's close in prayer. My God, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for your power over sin. I want to thank you that you are quick to forgive, that your love is unconditional, and that our stories, our testimonies, bring light to this, that our lives speak of your attributes, that our lives are monuments to who you are. And so you have given us these stories, you've given us our lives, you've entrusted these to us, to be stewards with them, And so, Lord, help us to use our stories to bring glory to your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray.